Well, one of the uh, reasons going back to the history of why we started our church is, you know, my wife and I, when we looked around all those years ago, what we saw was people who were alive, but they were just living. And if you, if, you, if you understand, especially what it means to live a life in Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about. Like people whose hearts are beating, but they just aren't living for the right things. They're just existing on this planet. Their outlook on life, their outlook on humanity, uh, where they're going to spend eternity, like these things are so dark. And, and so for us, when we started the church, we were like, man, we, we want to bring something to our community where people don't have to live that way. They can have a new hope. They can have a new joy for their life. They can have a new purpose, a new reason for why they're drawing air in their lungs. And, and so we said, hey, we want people to know that. Like this scripture from John 10, 10, I've showed you over the years, it's like a big part of why we started this church. Jesus Christ said that I have come. He said, I have come that you and I, we, for us, humanity, that we might have life. And if they'll put that scripture up on the screen for me, that you might have life and life to the what? Fullest. Like we wanted that for our community. We had discovered it. Others had discovered Like how can we make sure people can have life and have it to the fullest. We're doing this series for four weeks called Stay Positive, not because of, uh, you know, we wanted to present to you some psycho babble where, you know, let's all stay positive and put smiles, fake smiles on our faces and everything will be hunky-dory. We didn't do it for that. We did it because, well, God's word tells us as Christians there's a lot of great reasons why we ought to be the most positive people on planet Earth. And Christians should be. But yet, in our culture today and in our community, whether it's Christians or non-Christians, if we were to look around at our culture and our community today, and I was just to ask you this question, do you sense that people in humanity, we are more negative than we have ever been before? Like there's more negativity online there's more negativity in our culture and community than ever before. Would you agree with that? Like negativity is like at peak, it seems like, but maybe it's not peak. It's still on its way to peaking. It does, like online, you can't even post something so simple. Like just post like, I love dogs. And somebody's arguing with you. They're going to get negative about a dog. You're like, I'm, come on, man. Like, can't we just, you know, just be happy about something, right? So much negativity. Uh, of course, let's not even talk about politics, right? I mean, I don't know if you've met these people. Maybe, maybe you have. Maybe you're seated next to one of them. I don't, don't elbow anybody. But they try to get this. This is it. They try to solve political arguments on their keyboard. Have you seen this? <laughs> it's really interesting. And they go back and forth, negative with one another, with people, and you're just going, man, what is going on? Arguments, how it used to be when I was younger, some of you may be old enough to remember this, if you just accidentally bumped into somebody in line or at the store, you just said, I'm sorry, and the other person said, no problem. Now it's like, ah, you know, and then don't, don't cut somebody off in traffic, my goodness. Negativity is permeating our culture. We did this series because, well, as Christians, we shouldn't be caught up in that. And we ought to be. I, I did a little video before we did this series and put it out there online. I said, we ought to be the most positive people on the planet. We ought to be the ones that set the standard, not because, again, of anything fake, but because of what we have in a life in Christ. And so what I thought I would do is we'd go through Romans chapter 8, 
There's 39 verses in Romans chapter 8. If you have not read them, you'll go back, do a little homework. We're going to kind of pick it apart here a little bit and go through it, but 39 verses in Romans chapter 8, and it's kind of all a reminder of, hey, this is what Jesus has done for us. And when you remember what Jesus has done for us, it puts you in a very different frame of mind. And yet I think as Christians, we do get negative. We do forget some of these promises that Christians have. There are studies that tell us that people who are positive live differently. There was a study of thousands of people done by the University of Pennsylvania, and they found something that I think you and I already know, and that is that, that people who are optimistic live longer. People who are optimistic are healthier humans. People who are optimistic are happier human beings. Uh, People who are optimistic accomplish more than pessimistic people. There was another study about salespeople, and they determined that that salespeople uh, that were more positive than negative had 37% better sales results than the positive people than the negative people. We get that. Like, it, it makes sense on the surface. And, and yet, knowing how valuable it is, again, I think sometimes as Christians, we forget. Now, I do know this, that if we look back at the history of our church in going back all the way to our beginning, we know that when people have come onto our site for the very first time, one of the responses they give us as to why they love our church or why they want to come back it's almost always related to the positive, the, the smiles, the love they felt when they entered the building, the greeters at the front door, the ushers, the parking team, whatever it may be, that there was a love that they felt, a presence when they walked in the building, and they were just like, man, I want to be a part of that. I, that makes sense. We want to be around positivity. We want to be around positive people, and the church ought to be a positive place because we have the good news. That's what we're selling here. We are literally hope dealers. We're hope addicts, and we present that to our community, and so in that, we should be smiling, we should be enjoying life, not because we want to say that life is all, you know, unicorns and rainbows. It's not. Christians struggle as well, but we have an underlying thing going on that makes us, should make us positive. So as we unpack Romans chapter 8, under this theme of why Christians should be the most positive people on the planet, I want to just do a quick reminder as we go through some of these verses, you're going to see a key phrase, I put this in your notes, a key phrase to just remember, it's this phrase, in Christ. If you read this and you go on your own, in fact, you read a lot of the New Testament, you're going to see in Paul's writings, who's the writer of the text we're about to look at, he oftentimes uses the phrase, in Christ. Simply to understand what this means is Christians. It's another way to say Christian. So Paul, instead of using the word Christian, he would say in Christ. If you are a Christian, you are absolutely in in Christ. So when you see that as we go through this, you're saying, hey, this this applies to the Christians back then and the Christians still today over 160 plus times in in Christ. Beautiful reminders for you and I. I put in your notes, as you go through Romans 8 and those 39 verses, you're going to see for probably more than what I'm going to share with you today, but I wanted to unpack seven reminders about why we should be the most positive people on the planet. Here's the first one I put in your notes. Uh, We can be the most positive people on the planet as Christians because we have a life without condemnation. That's a really big deal. 
In fact, this point is such a big deal that as a Christian, I know there's a heaven and I'm going there. But if you were to just take heaven off the table, this point alone is reason enough why you should want to be a Christian, to live a life without condemnation. It's a beautiful thing that we have as believers. It says this in Romans 8, 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ, in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. I did a little research on that word no, where it is in, in the scriptures there, just kind of to dig into that word no, and I studied the Greek on it, and it turns out in the Greek, the word no means no. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. doesn't say there is no condemnation for those outside of Christ. No, it's reserved for only those who are in Christ. This is a great reason why we ought to be positive people, why we ought to stay positive. I put in your notes, here's the fact. In Christ, when you make a mistake, God does not, he doesn't kick you out of his family. You're still in the family. We still have redemption. We still have forgiveness. For those of us who are in the family, I'm going to share why this is such a big deal here in a moment, but remember this. In Christ, you might blow it from time to time, but God does not reject you. In Christ, you may be inconsistent in the way you're living your life. God doesn't sit there and go, okay, you were kind of a Christian, now I don't want you anymore. He doesn't do that. When you sin, God's not sitting there holding a grudge against you and mad at you because you didn't get it right. In Christ, we are reminded that we still have forgiveness of our sins, our sins past, present, and what? Future. I just went on a trip. We did a little trip called Wild at Heart. I took a bunch of men on a trip last week. That's why I wasn't here. Pastor Rusty was here, did a great job for us as a church, so we're grateful uh, for him. But on this trip that I went on with these men, we did a little uh, thing. We did baptisms there, and some guys chose to be baptized. And as I stand there next to them and I'm talking to them, I ask them this question before they're baptized. I say, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin?" They say, yes. I say, okay, do you believe that he died for your sin past, present, and future? That's a really big deal because sometimes as Christians, we miss that. Sometimes as Christians, we'll get, even the Christian, we'll get ourselves into this place where we've made a mistake, and as Christians, we'll start wallowing in our sin, and we'll just rest in it, and we'll let it hang over our heads. We'll let it weigh us down, and we'll start beating ourselves up for our mistakes that, you, that we've made. And God says, you, as a Christian in Christ, you don't have to do that. Why would you beat yourself up for a sin that Jesus Christ already paid the price for? That's called double, je double jeopardy when you do that. And you don't need to keep beating yourself up when Jesus Christ took the punishment for that sin and now you are in Christ. This is why sometimes as Christians that negativity can get a little more pervasive because some people are sort of wallowing in some mentality as Christians as though they are condemned. In John 3 and verse 17 and 18 it says this, Jesus said, I did not come into this world to condemn the world. What did Jesus say he came for? To save it. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they, because we have chosen to not believe in the name of God's one and only Son, we choose to live a life of condemnation apart from Jesus Christ, but in Christ, we have that ability to say, I'm set free, I'm not going to live with this hanging over my head any longer. There are Christians 
struggle with this. And so I just wanted to make sure that you were aware, like, hey, I mean, this is why we stay positive. I went on a little trip to Israel several years ago, and we went by this church. It's, it's kind of sitting on the place where Jesus was flogged and beaten. It's, it's actually called the Church of the Flagellation, which means, or also known separately as the Church of Condemnation. And it's like there to represent what took place against Jesus. And I think in some of our churches in America today, they feel like the Church of Condemnation. Like, we're not sure, like, maybe that's the whole reason why sometimes people are at church. The pastor's got to give it to me, you know, got to beat me down a little bit. You know, we go to these churches sometimes, and it feels like, you know, people want to come up to the pastor and say, the message was so good because you made me feel so bad about myself. Well, I think that has been going on sometimes in our culture and sometimes in our churches, but that's not what the church ought to be for. If I ever share something with you where you're going, man, that kind of got at me a little bit, I hope you'll see it as conviction, not condemnation, and you'll see it as, hey, he's giving me something now to pay attention to, but pastor's also going to give me tools so that I don't have to walk around with my head low. He's going to give me tools to be reminded that I'm not condemned through Christ, in Christ. And so that's my goal here, to help you see that you can live this life without condemnation. Again, I said this before, if there was no heaven, and I believe there is, this is good enough reason alone for any human to say, I want to be a Christian. I want to be in Christ. We can stay positive because we don't live a life of condemnation. Here's the next thing in your notes. Uh, We have a life without domination. Nothing dominates me any longer, of course, other than Jesus Christ, but I don't have to live a life dominated. Verse two, through Christ, the law of the spirit of life, what has it done? It has set, set me what? Free from the law of sin and death. Set me free. Here's the fact I put in your notes. We do not have to be controlled by anything anymore as a Christian. When the Lord is in control of my life, I am not controlled by anything else. You see people today in our culture and in our community, and they are controlled. They're controlled in a way that's something's got a hold of their life that's honestly got their life completely out of control. Uh, People will say, Pastor, I can't handle my life. Things are messy. Uh, I I don't know what to do right now. My my life feels like I I can never kind of get a handle on it, and I can't seem to change, and I can't seem to break free, and and I don't know how to control the way I'm acting. I don't know how to control my behaviors. I don't know how to control my way of thinking and responding. I feel like something owns me when it comes to my substance abuse or my alcohol abuse or drugs or whatever it is. Pastor Gary, I don't know how to deal with this, and here's the thing. When you become a Christian, the genuine genuine mark of somebody who's a Christian is freedom. And you have, those things have been unlocked. Those things have been released so that you can now be under the authority of the heavenly father. My question to you today, this morning is this, what is controlling you? And I can get you to the answer to that question real easy without knowing any of your situations in this room. Here's the question to ask yourself. If you want to know what's controlling you right now, Ask yourself right now, over the last week, what is the thing I think about the most? Is it your addiction? Is it your money? Financial situation? Is it your job situation? Is it your career? Is it another person? Or is it 
a week that in all honesty say, I, I've been focused fully on Jesus. Whatever you're focused on has your control. Verse five, to have your mind controlled by human nature results in death. To have your mind controlled by the spirit, talking about the spirit of God, results in life, and I love this, and peace. Either your spiritual adversary is controlling you this world, substances are controlling you, situations and circumstances, or your heavenly Father. When you come to know Jesus Christ, you have a power that allows you to say, I am not dictated by problems and circumstances any longer. What's controlling you? It's a great way to stay positive as a believer because we don't get dominated by these things any longer. We're free in Christ. Here's the third thing. We have a life without desperation. When we look at humanity today, there is, I think we know this, there's a heavy level of desperation going on wherever we look. And people are desperate for more money. And they're desperate to answers, to find answers to life. And they're desperate for relationships. And they're desperate for outcomes. They're desperate to add a little more age onto their life so they can live just a little bit, a little bit longer. Desperation in every corner of humanity. I love what Henry David Thoreau said. He said, most people are living lives of quiet desperation. But here's the thing. Though God has not promised the believer a stress-free life, God has not promised the believer a problem-free life, God has promised the believers a hope that allows us to look ahead despite the chaos going on around us. Verse 18, our present sufferings, the things we're going through now, they're not worth comparing to the glory that we're going to have revealed to us one day. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I know how the story ends. Have you, have you read God's word to see how the story ends? I, I, let me just help you with the cliff notes here. We win. We win. Uh, those of us who are in Christ, we are going to cross over into eternity. And what we're going to encounter there compares nothing to the things that we are encountering here. In fact, I love in the scriptures, well, first thing I put in your notes, here's a fact. We know there is a great ending to our story. There's a great ending to our story. In Christ, we know that. So again, we can stay positive because we have that reminder going on. But if you read Romans chapter 8, you go down, read a little bit, you'll see some great hope reminders like about what God promises us in life and in eternity. In eternity, in verse 23, Paul says, hey, don't forget when you cross over into eternity, you get a new body. Yes. We get a new body. And, and so I think uh, some of our greatest fears as we grow older is like, what happens? You know, my body's deteriorating and I've got all these things going on. And these are real difficult struggles. But we also keep in mind that one day it, it's all being changed. There's something new coming. In verse 26, when you read Romans chapter 8, you see that in Christ, the Spirit is praying for you, with you, on the journeys and struggles on this side of eternity, and you have a hope that no, you know that God is there, and he's right by your side as you go through some of the difficulties that we face on this side of eternity. So as Christians, we can stay positive because we don't live a life condemned. We can stay positive because we don't live a life of domination. We can stay positive because we don't have to live desperate. And then here's the next thing. We have a life without miscalculation. God never makes a mistake. 
Here's something, though, amazing about the Christian journey. When you do make a mistake in your life, God doesn't make mistakes, but we do. And when we make mistakes, here's what God does. This is amazing. He takes, in Christ, he takes our mistakes in the good things that we do, and he works all of that together for something good. This is where you get in Romans 8, the famous scripture in Romans 8, 28, that some of you know. We know that all things, uh, all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. This is a beautiful reason why Christians can be positive and we ought to become like very optimistic people because we see that even in our mistakes, God can take that and do something great with it. Here's what I put in your notes. Here's a fact. There is a purpose behind my problems. There is a purpose behind my problems. Now, let me be clear. The scripture, don't, don't mischaracterize the scripture. The scripture does not say that all things are good. It did not. This world is messy and there are bad things in this world. The scripture does not say that all things work out the way that I want them to. Not at all. It does not say that everything will have a happy ending on this side of eternity. No. But it does say what we know and we know. We don't have to hope. We don't have to guess, we don't have to wish, we don't have to desire, we don't have to think, we don't have to imagine. We have absolute confidence. What do we know? What does that include? That no matter what difficult things are going on in your life as a Christian, you've made mistakes or you lost a job or you're in a financial struggle or there's a deep physical illness going on in your life or there's a divorce or some other tragedy in your life, we can know that God works all of those things together for something greater in Christ. It does not say that all things themselves are good by themselves, but he takes all of these things, good and bad, and works them together for something good. It's sort of like, the way God's working it is sort of like the um, a needlepoint art. I don't know if you've ever seen a needlepoint and looked at the front, but also looked at the back. I I've had the occasion, and I won't go into detail, but to see many needlepoints in my life. But uh, one of the things you'll know about a needlepoint is uh, on the back of a needlepoint, if you were to just see that first, it just, it's a blob of mess. Like, what in the world is this doing? But if you flip it over and you kind of look at the front side, you could see, okay, this is what it was meant to be. Just, yeah, Mountain Dew, you know. But on the back, you see it's a difference. And I kind of think that's the perspective that God wants us to know that he has. That sometimes on this planet, we're going through some things. There's a little bit of bad. There's a little bit of mess. There's a little bit of chaos. There's a little bit of good. But he has the ability to see the other side. On the other side, he sees the completeness of it all. Sometimes on this side of eternity, you and I can see the things that he is working for good, even though there was some messiness along the way. Sometimes we're not going to see it all until we cross over into eternity. But he's working as a believer. He's working all the good and the bad for something great. Question, can God bring good out of evil? Absolutely. Can God take our sins, the dumbest things that we've done, the wrong things, the decisions that we've made, and can he use it for something great? in our lives, and for others, absolutely. It's one of the cool things about what we do here on Monday nights. It's called Celebrate Recovery. 
and it meets at 7 o'clock in the cafe over here. And you, you don't have to sign up. You just show up at 7. They're dealing with life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups. But, I, and but just so you know, they, they had almost 100 people there this last week, which is huge. I guess it's amazing. See that ministry continue slowly. Silly grow, but what you'll get if you come to that is every other Monday, somebody will share a testimony. And in that testimony, what you're going to hear, like with any testimony from a person in Christ, you're going to hear a story about how there was some messiness in their life, either by their choices or by what somebody else did to them. And they're going to talk about how in this, it was awful, or it was difficult, or it was a struggle, whatever it may be. But then they're going to share about how Christ got involved in their life and how this happened or this happened or something happened along the way with God's help and God's power. That's the testimony. And what they're doing in that moment is sharing with somebody else who maybe is in a similar circumstance or struggle about how God did this for them, took the bad, took the good, is working it all together for something good in their own life, and now it can happen in your life. That's what they're sharing. What is happening there in a moment? God is using a moment where there was some bad, there was some good, and he's working it out all together to grow the kingdom or to make a difference in somebody else's life. That's just a small example of how God can do this. And look, in the DNA, kind of in the genealogy of who Jesus is, something interesting about, if you read Matthew chapter one, you get genealogy. And they list out the genealogy of where Jesus came from. It's kind of laborious reading, but at the end of the day, it has a lot of power to it. And what you're going to see is some really struggling characters that are kind of in the lineage of, of Jesus. And also, uh, there are five women mentioned, Mary, but then there are four others and if you just look at the women who are mentioned in Jesus' lineage, there's, well, there's Tamar, and uh, she was seduced by her father-in-law and had a child. There's Rahab, who was a prostitute. There's Ruth, who was a, a Moabitess foreigner who married a Jew illegally. And then there's Bathsheba, and if you know the word, you know the story of Bathsheba. Here's what we get. Four ladies who had four very difficult things happening in their life. And they are in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. A portrait of messiness combined with something great, making something great for the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is perfect, and you and I are not. But we know that because you and I are not, in the mistakes that we make and encounter in this world, God can take all of these things working for good. Let me just give you one reminder about that scripture before I move on. And that is this. Is in, in that scripture, does it say that everything works together for every human being for the good of God? No. It's only for those who are in Christ. This is a promise that only believers have access to. And so if you are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, in other words, you're not in the family of God, you do not have access to this powerful resource that allows Christians to stay positive despite what's going on around them. Here's the next thing. We have a life without intimidation. We don't have to be intimidated by the things going on around us. We don't have to fear. We don't have to sink back. We have a spiritual adversary who wants to intimidate us. There are people that want to intimidate us. There are things that strike 
fear into our hearts that could cause us to sink back. But in Christ, we don't have to live that way. Verse 31, it says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, then who could be against us? What God is saying is like, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. And I've said this before, one plus God is a majority. And so if you've got God on your side, you win. And we're reminded of that in his word. We're reminded that God is indeed for us. He does want us to encounter victory. He's not trying to trip us up. He picks us up. He's not trying to make your life miserable. He's trying to bring joy in your life. He's not trying to make your life a mess. He is the God who cleans it up. He is for you and I. And I think as Christians, we ought to be confident, not arrogant, but confident in our life and in our walk with God because we don't sink back, at least we shouldn't sink back in fear. Psychologists say there are over 650 types of fear. Some of the most common that we deal with are things like fear of failure, fear of the future, fear of dying, fear of rejection, fear of criticism. But in what Christ has done in our lives, we don't We've got God on our side, so what would we fear? Hebrews 13 and verse 6, we can say this with confidence. The Lord's my helper. I'm not going to be afraid. What can man do to me? Romans 8, 37, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, through Christ Jesus, who has loved us. Now, I really did look up this thing about the Greek, about more than conquerors. And in the Greek, the actual translation for that is super conquerors. We have super conquering power to win against any fear in our lives. I put this in your notes. Here's the fact. Christians don't have to fear anything. In Christ, you don't have to live the way the world lives. Look, look. in this world, you will either be a victor or a victim. In this world, you will either be swallowed up by your circumstances or you will overcome your circumstances. You will either be overwhelmed by your problems or you will overcome your problems. In Christ, we have access to this kind of win in our lives. My question to you is this. What, has been, has, what have you been telling yourself that you could not do in your life? What have you been telling yourself that Hey, you need to sink back and sit on the sidelines. What, what lie have you been listening to by our adversary that you've been buying into? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I can do all things. You've been given a life without intimidation and your circumstances and your problems do not dictate outcomes in your life. It is that power of God that carries you through. Here's the next thing. We have a life without limitation, limitless living. Limitless living. Verse 32, here's what it says. Since, we did, since he did not spare even his one and only son for us, but gave him up for us all, Jesus gave his life up for all of us, won't he also surely Give us everything else. Won't he also supply and meet our every need? Of course, the answer is yes. And here's what you need to understand. For those of you right now, you'd say, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian. Here's what you need to know. The biggest problem you will ever face in your life has been settled if you're a Christian. How can my sin be forgiven? Why is that the biggest problem in your life? Because if your sin is not forgiven, you do not have a relationship with God. And why is that a problem for you? If you do not have a relationship with God, you are spending an eternity separated from God. You will. 
And so if you have that taken care of in your life, the biggest problem you will ever face has already been dealt with. You know what that means? That means every other problem that you will face from this point on is small potatoes in account and in, in the considering of what God can do in your life. You know what that means? That means you're going through a financial struggle right now. Can God still supply all, not your wants, but all of your needs? Can he put food on your table and a roof over your house? Absolutely, he can do it. You're going through a parenting issue right now and you're struggling. Is God big enough to supply all your needs to carry you through this parenting situation? Absolutely. The biggest thing in your life has already been handled. Now God is meeting all these other needs in our life. Here's what it says in your notes. Fact, God will meet all my needs. He will meet my emotional needs, my social needs, my financial needs, my spiritual needs, my physical needs. He wants to meet those needs, and we have an opportunity to encounter that in everything. We know that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches in his glory in Christ. Psalm 84 and verse 11 is, is the Christian swagger verse. Here's what it says. No good thing will be withheld from those who walk uprightly. What that means is that, hey, in Christ you can walk uprightly, not nose up in the air, not nose looking down at people, but uprightly and confidence because you know that whatever's going to happen today, God's going to meet your needs somehow. He's going to take care of you. Ultimately, he's going to take care of you all the way through to Eternity, God wants to bless your life in a way you can encounter him by taking steps of saying, God, I'm going to trust that you're going to supply my need. We are, uh, some of you may know, since 2019, late, late 2019, we have been endeavoring to add on, uh, add on to our church uh, a new facility. And actually, the next series, next month, we're going to talk. Give, I'll give you guys an update about what's going on with that. Uh, in November, so you'll get to hear about that. But man, this thing like hit perfect storm chaos because you know we started this journey in 2019 and then COVID, right? It's like that's how we end everything, and then COVID, <laughs> and so 2020 comes, and man, it was a mess, you know, for churches, and a lot of people stopped coming. Slowly, we've been kind of growing back. You can see, look around, you can see that we're growing back, and so we've been kind of still. People have been giving resources to this thing that we're working through to try to get constructed. Here's what happened for those people back in 2019 and throughout the last several years. They were already giving financially to our church, and then they decided to give on top big what they were already giving. That's, like, that's wild. People were doing that. They're still doing that. Why are they doing that? It, they're doing that because they have already learned by faith that God is going to supply their every need. And it, when you test God in this or anything else in your life to say, God, are you going to come through? And he does. It gives you the confidence to continue to trust him in other areas of your life. Some of you, you heard what I just said about giving. You're like, that's crazy. You need to try some craziness so you can sense in some way or another that God is going to take care of your needs. He's going to take care of it by faith. He will give you that confidence to say, I know. If he can meet my need here, he'll meet my need here as well. Here's what I put in your notes. We have a life, and this is important. We have a life without separation. 
I mentioned this before, the greatest challenge you have as a human being is to make sure that you have taken the opportunity to, to not be separated from God, but to be in one in relationship with him. And for this reason alone, we can walk on this earth and know we are not separated from God and we can stay positive. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor or life, neither angels nor demons, uh, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ, in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are not, there's nothing that you can encounter here on this planet that's going to separate you from the love of God. Here's the fact in your notes. In Christ, you never have to wonder where you are spending eternity. What a confidence. You don't have to wonder. That is good news, people. I don't have to. I, and those of you who know that and you know what I'm talking about, you know what that confidence is like. You know that in this life, God's never going to leave you alone. You know that whatever has happened to you in your life, God is not going to stop loving you. Once you commit your life to Jesus Christ, check this out. God assumes full responsibility for you being carried over into eternity. Not another person, not even you by your religious works. It is all done by the work of the cross. Your soul is now in his hands, and that is a good place for your soul to be because he is perfect, and he will not make a mistake with it. What a confidence in knowing that you have that in your life that you don't have to question, am I going to make it into heaven? Some of you, right now, you don't know the answer to that question. It's the greatest question you've got to settle in your life. If I was to take my daughters up to a high cliff on a mountaintop, high mountaintop cliff, and we would look down and say, man, look how steep of a drop that is. And then if I was to look over to the left side of that cliff and there was a, a trail that you could take, it was steep, steep, sharp drop, but take this trail, we could make it to where we wanted to go we get down to the bottom. If I said to my daughters, look, we got to get down from this mountain and that is a steep trail. What would I do as a father with my girls? I'll tell you what I would do. I would grab their hands tightly and we would start the journey together. As their father, do you think for a second I would ever let go of their hands? Not at all. I am going to make sure that I have got them all the way down on this journey. They might try to squirm a little bit, like, hey, Dad, we can handle it ourselves. Dad, we're independent of you. We kind of got our own footing. We don't, yeah, we can handle it. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm taking their hands all the way down. And when you decide to say yes to Jesus Christ, he's got you by the hands and he is not letting go. No matter what chaos and storms you are going through, you can trust that he has you all the way. Jude 24 says he is able to keep you from falling. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna stumble. You're gonna fail, but God is not gonna fail. These reasons I'm giving you to hear, there's seven of them. There's probably more if you unpack, there are more. Seven reasons why you ought to be able to stay positive. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4.1. Live and act in such a way 
worthy of those who have been chosen for such wonderful blessings as these. That's our response to these promises of God that I just laid out for you. To live differently, to stay positive. What do you do if you've kind of been maybe not staying positive and negativity is prevailing in some of the way you're living? What do you do right now as we get ready to pray? We just say, God, forgive me. I have so much to be thankful for. Forgive me of living so negatively considering all the things that you have done for me. We ought to be positive. We ought to be optimistic. We ought to know, hey, at the end of the day, we win. God, we're going to make it. This thing doesn't depend on me. It depends on you. And so now I'll become more dedicated and more positive to the things of the Lord because of what I have. First John 5, 11, it says this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has Life, whoever does not have the sun does not have life. Why would you wait another day? I hear people say, I'm going to wait till my deathbed confession. Look at all that we have now. Why would you wait one more day to say, yes, I want to be in Christ and in the family of God? I'm going to give you a second to, in just a moment. I'll give you a chance to take advantage of that right now across the entire planet. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of people are going to hear that message and they're going to say, I want to be in the family of God. And you'll have an opportunity to do that here in just a second. Just so you know, in a few weeks, we're having a beach baptism. It's a really cool experience uh, to be a part. It's just family. It's church family celebrating what God is doing in the family. But some of you, um, you need to be baptized. What are you doing when you're baptized? You're, you're saying, you know what? I, I did not have all those things at one time in my life. I didn't have those. And I did just kind of wander through life. And, and I did kind of just live a life of quiet desperation. But in Christ, that old way of living and my mistakes and my regrets and my failures and my doubt and my fears, they were buried and I was raised to life through Jesus Christ, in Christ. And that portrait of baptism is just that, the old way under raised to life in Christ. Some of you have not been baptized, but you've made that decision in your life. It's time to be baptized. Just let us know that you are interested in joining us for that event. You can write baptism on the back of your Connect card and circle it. Or there's a place, I think, for you to check and say, I'm interested in baptism. We'll get you information about this really great event that's coming up in just a few weeks. Some of you were baptized as a baby. And your parents wanted that for you. It was a big deal to them. But you've never been baptized having made that personal decision to follow Christ as Savior. And it's time to be baptized. Some of you, maybe you're in a time of rededication. You're welcome to join us to be baptized for that as well. So let us know on the back of that Connect card. If you've got questions, you want more information, we will get in touch with you. Christians ought to be the most positive people on the planet. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, for the times we're negative, we're sorry. God, forgive us and let us be more positive. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. You're, you're just revealing right now to those who are believers in this room the times. Maybe, maybe there's an air of negativity with us. Could be online, could be around others, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors. And, and, and it's not an easy world to live in, but we, we recognize today with all that you've done for us, God, we, we can be positive about this life. I, and what awaits us. But there may be somebody like, like in this room, just like audiences all over the planet who are hearing the message on this Sunday 
about forgiveness in Christ, no condemnation. They're hearing about, they could not, they could make a decision right now and not be separated from God any longer. Discover what it means to have a life of forgiveness. They could step into the decision that allows them to enter eternity one day. If that is you, where you're seated, you want to make that decision. You could do it right there. You say, what do you do, Pastor Gary? What do you do? You, you just surrender and you say, God, I admit, I've fallen short. I've made some decisions in my life. The Bible calls that sin. That are away, It's away from you, God. That's not of what you wanted for my life. But right now, God, I am asking you to forgive me of my sin because I believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross for the forgiveness of the sin of all of humanity, past, present, and future sin in my life. God, I'm receiving that. It's like his blood is shed, and it's a washing of my sin and being forgiven of it. I believe in God's one and only Son, and today I am ready to live new. I'm ready to live positive. I'm ready to live different in Christ. I'm ready to discover, God, what you have in store for me and eternity as well. I receive that gift of salvation today in Jesus' name. Amen.